turn together to the book of Acts, chapter 17. There are certain songs that we do where it sounds like a women's conference singing in here. Like when this, all the female vocals just kind of rise above everything else, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty killer. Uh, well done, ladies. Um, dudes, I don't really know what to say to you on that one. So Acts 17, we'll get to that in just a second. During Lent, we went through Isaiah 53 for several weeks. Prior to Lent, uh, we went through a couple weeks on discipleship and um, Jesus' invitation to take uh, his yoke upon us. And just looking at, at what a discipleship relationship looks like and, and some of the big picture ideas connected to that and then kind of got more specific. And um, what I want to do tonight and, and next week is sort of do some follow-up from that series. Some, some stones that were maybe left unturned, uh, just through dialogue and listening to people's re- like reactions to some of the things that God was stirring in there. Uh, maybe some things that I left out or just couldn't find the right place to fit in. Um, so that's where we're going to be for the next two Sundays, is kind of revisiting some of those same things. Um, and you don't need to turn to it. We'll put it on the screens. And this all comes from Matthew 11, starting in verse 28. Uh, this is what Jesus says. Uh, Come to me, all who, labor, all, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And this is where this idea comes from. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Where it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, uh, I have it over there. I just didn't take it out. But it's like it's where two animals are, are linked together. And he's using this agricultural metaphor to help us understand that, that he's like, get into this yoke with me, you on one side and me on the other side, and let me teach you. Uh, the yoke was an instrument of work, but also one of teaching and learning. Um, and one of the big uh, points that kind of came back you know, each week was we are yoked together with Christ, and we learn directly from him. So if you, if you have the, the two animals side by side, he's one, and you're the other one. And that's a part of, of him helping us understand what it means to have a relationship with the God of the universe. He's like, it's kind of like two animals being yoked together. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And the farmers would have understood that maybe better than those of us who are not farmers, because you would have a, you would have a, a seasoned veteran animal and then a younger, less experienced animal, and you would put them together. You wouldn't put two rookies in a yoke. Um, because that doesn't do you any good. And you wouldn't put two veterans in the yoke necessarily because that's not quite as efficient because you're always trying to train up the next generation. And so uh, from what I understand, the goal was always to try and have an, an older experienced animal and a younger, less experienced animal yoked together. So Jesus would obviously be the older experienced animal since he's uncreated and has always existed. Uh, and we would individually be the less experienced animal since we were created and have not always existed. And so um, that's, uh, he's trying to help us understand what, like, what that means. He's like, get into the yoke with me. Let me teach you some things. Let me teach you about the world. Let me teach you about yourself. Let me teach you about the kingdom. 
Let me teach you about sin and its, uh, its effects. Let me teach you about freedom. Let me teach you about identity. Let me teach you about everything that you need to know. Just take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Um, so we learn directly from Jesus, in other words, in the yoke with him. Um, the other thing is that as a part of a community, uh, a family, we are also, uh, in, in a different sense, we're, we're in a yoke with each other. Um, there are, are people in your life who have taught you how to do things. And so uh, if, if your dad taught you to tie your shoe, um, in a, in a, to go with the metaphor, uh, your dad was in the yoke and said, Hey, son, daughter, whatever, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let me teach you how to tie your shoe. If you learn how to write... And that was the case. When you learned how to read, that was the case. All our lives, we've been learning from people who are more experienced than we are. And then there comes a point uh, where you begin to also teach other people. And so maybe that even began when you were young. If you have a younger sibling, maybe at some point you taught them how to do something. And, and so whether you're on the um, experienced veteran side of the yoke or the younger, less experienced side of the yoke, we're always teaching, we're always learning. It's been a part of life since we were very, very young. Um, so the, there are kind of two ways that we need to think about discipleship. One would be directly from Jesus, in the yoke with him. The second would, would be how we learn indirectly from Jesus, as he brings other people into our lives to teach us things. Um, so we're teaching and we're learning. And so for a couple of weeks, we kind of unpack that stuff, and all the podcasts are up, and um, so what, what I want to do tonight and next week is to really focus in just a little bit more on each side of, of that relationship. Um, next week, we'll, I'm going to talk about what it, things that the teacher needs to know, you know, like kind of some, really some like tips and scriptural things to, to look at when it comes to teaching someone else, what should your perspective be, what should... Uh, what should you listen for? How do you know um, when to, what to speak and when? And, and when do you listen? And some of those kind of things. So I'm going to zero in on that side next week. So tonight we're going to zero in on when you're on the learner side of the yoke. Whether you're learning from, from Christ directly or you're learning from Christ indirectly from someone else. What do you need to know? What, is it, what does it mean for us uh, to be effective as learners? And so um, in Acts 17, there's this uh, little... Uh, this cool little story that's somewhat tucked away, I guess. Um, we, have, we have Paul and Silas, and they're on uh, Paul's second missionary journey. And so what Paul would do is he would set out on these, just these uh, adventures, so to speak, and he would just roll around from city to city as the Spirit would lead him. And he would go in, and he would go to the synagogue, and he would just begin talking with people. Um, obviously, being in a synagogue, he was there with faithful uh, faithful Jewish folks of that community, and he would begin to talk to them about Christ being the Messiah. Christ being the, the long prophesied about Messiah, the one they had waited for. And he would go in and just begin to reason with them. And sometimes it was a conversation, and sometimes it became a speech or a sermon of sorts. And sometimes the crowd, uh, really, it just made them very angry, and other times they were a little more receptive. And, um, and he, would, he would stay in, in a city until the Spirit told him to move, or in this case, until they formed an angry mob and ran him out of town. And so that's what's just happened. Um, 
he basically said the wrong things to the wrong people, and they, uh, I don't know if they got like torches together, like Frankenstein style or something, and like charged in or whatever, but he was at this guy's house named Jason, and a good strong Bible name. Uh, I was, for some reason, you know, Bible names kind of have like a category, and there's like Jason, which seems more like, you know, 1970-something American name or whatever, but uh, it's biblical. And so he was at Jason's house, of course, just hanging out. Uh, and this angry mob shows up, ready, and they want to run him out of town or kill him or something. And uh, it's just this whole weird thing went out. So, so Paul and Silas, and I believe Timothy was with them as well, they had, had left the angry mob and went about 50 miles to this, this little town um, that, uh, that we're going to look at right now. So look, uh, here they are, look in verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, going into the Jewish synagogue is what just got them ran, just run out of another town by an angry mob. What's the first thing they do when they get to this new town? They go right to the Jewish synagogue. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. All right, verse 11 will be where we'll focus. Um, now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessal- Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek, uh, Greek women of high standing as well as men. All right? So that's just those kind of three verses. They go into the synagogue, and uh, they begin to share these things. And then uh, people, they, like, they believed what they were saying. That's kind of what happened. And so Berea was this kind of breath of fresh air where they had been run out by an angry mob in Thessalonica. Now they get, they get there, and there's something about these folks that was, um, it was just, there was just some goodness there. You know, they, they had a win, which we all need sometimes. And so from this verse, from verse 11, I want to give us, kind of pull out three, um, three qualities of an effective learner, I guess you could call it. Three things that are, are important when you are on the learning side of the yoke, whether it's from Christ directly or from Christ indirectly through someone else. So let's say that you, um, that you pursue someone who, who has walked with the Lord longer than you have. They may be younger than you. It's not about age. It's about duration. Um, let's say that, that there is someone who is really good at something that you desire to become better at. All right? Maybe they are... Maybe they really know the scriptures. Maybe they have a deep prayer life. Maybe, maybe they're just an incredible husband or wife or father or mother. Um, maybe they're, they're just a very like, servant-hearted person who uh, always considers the needs of others very naturally before themselves. Or, I mean, there's just so many things that, that could be there. So let's, let's say that, that you have felt stirred somehow to, to sit down for like a one-time thing, Right? You haven't gone to him, to that person and said, would you disciple me forever? Because as I said a few weeks ago, that's super intimidating. Don't lead with that. Yeah. Uh, just go to him and say, hey, can we sit down for coffee one time for like an hour? You know, like set the commitment low, right? Um, let's say that you've done that. What is it, what's going to make that time really effective between the two of you? Because I think, I think it takes a lot of guts to get to that point, you know, and I think God's shaping us and um, I think he's doing some really cool things among us. Um, but sometimes when you go in and you sit down, um, you kind of feel like you've, like you've done all this work, and maybe like you just sit down and it's just kind of maybe mindless. You know? like you, 
How do you get the most out of that dialogue? How do you, how do you get to where your, your heart and your mind are postured correctly? Um, I think we learned some things from the Bereans that will help us very much. Look again at verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. All right, we're going to leave that verse up there, and we're just going to pull some things out of, out of, out of this. Uh, the first thing that, that you can write down if you're taking notes, you can just write the word noble. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. So those in Thessalonica formed an angry mob and ran them out. So I guess it wouldn't take much to be more noble than those folks, right? Um, but that really got, uh, it really got Luke's attention, uh, the contrast that was there. He was really drawn in to, to something, something else that was going on there. And I really think that, um, you know, when you, when you look at this word in the Greek, I, I, I tried to do a little word study on it, and everything pretty much pointed to the same, the same two ideas. One was it pointed to nobility of birth, you know, like your birthright was, was one that had a kind of some sort of like royal whatever to it, or uh, that there was just something uh, respectful about your family history or whatever. Um, and that's not what this is talking about. Uh, but from that, there's like a, it's a character description of someone who's noble, um, Describing someone who, um, who, is, who is open, someone who, is, uh, who has a desire to learn and to grow, um, someone who, who really like, wants to improve themselves, uh, that there's a, a kind of character to a learner that helps make things more effective. I think if you were to, to write the word noble, I think in parentheses behind it, I think you just put humble. I think, it's, I think they're very much in the same family of ideas. Um, that you have a noble or humble learner um, that really desires and, and understands their need to grow or improve in something. Um, it's not the same as, as someone who says, um, I'm just really terrible at something. You know? Sometimes we think someone who is humble is really just like, they're very like, self-deprecating, you know? Like you say, like, oh, you're so good at this, and you're like, no, I'm just so terrible at this. Like, that's not humility. Uh, someone who's humble understands that anything good about them is just God's made them good at something, you know. They understand where the credit lies. They understand it's not about them and their abilities and their, you know, skills and that kind of stuff. They just, they understand where their gifts come from. They understand who the source of uh, all good gifts would be for them, and, um, they have a real desire to grow and improve no matter how good they are at something or whatever. Um, someone who is noble in character, someone who is humble, is really able to, to understand, like, I, I'm really not awesome at this, and I need to grow in this. I need to mature in this. It's not the same as saying that you're the worst. It's like, no, I, I, I want to grow up in this area. As a learner, it's just very important that that's a part of your heart when you're going, when you're, when you're seeking out someone to learn from, when you're wanting to get into the yoke with someone else as a learner, you really have to, there has to be this, this inherent desire to, to grow and mature in whatever it is that you're seeking out. 
There has to be a humility that's there. Um, there has to be this, this honest assessment of, of where you are. So, you, so someone who is, who is noble or humble will go into a situation and they will, they will really um, they'll want any sort of input that the person on the other side of the yoke has to offer. And, and I was trying to think through this in my own experience um, to, to kind of figure out, like, am I a noble and humble person or am I not a noble and humble person? And I think that, that I tend to, like, swing back and forth. And maybe you do the same thing. That there are, I think that there are times when I, would, when, when I am humble or noble about things, when I am receptive, when I understand, like, 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 I, like God has given me some gifts and abilities, but I... I need to grow, I need to learn, and I understand that, and I'm receptive to that, and I'm open to that, and I want that. And there are other times when I think, I just think I'm pretty awesome at things and don't really care what anybody else has to say. Um, and probably for me, where this service is the most is like with, with, with like music stuff. So um, if, if I'm up here and I'm playing with, with the band, you know, some of those weeks when I get to play, and um, you know, let's, uh, I'll pick on Cody. Let's say Cody looks at me and says, like, hey, why don't you play it this way right here, or whatever. When I'm in a, like, humble and noble place, then I'm open to what he wants to say, both as a fellow musician and as an authority figure over me as a worship leader. Um, and I'm, like, I'm open to considering that, and if I'm noble and humble, then I'm, I'm like, like, yeah, no, I'll try that. That's a good idea. That's better than what I was doing. If I'm in a prideful place, then I will probably nod my head and smile at him and say, okay, and then not do it. And hope that he doesn't really notice. Uh, and there will be a part of me that's like, uh, now who's the bass player here? You? Me? Me? You? Who's played the bass since they were in the eighth grade when they taught themselves? You? Me? No? <laughs> and I wouldn't say that uh, the, that actual thought goes through my head. But when I'm in a prideful place, that's the position of my heart. It's like, what are you, why are you telling me anything? Let me, do, let, me, let me do what I'm doing, you know, whatever. Leave me alone. So when, when coming into a situation where you're playing with a group of musicians, you have, there has to be a nobility and a humility that you bring to the table when you're trying to work together to create something that's going on. I can't come in and be a prideful jerk about stuff. I have to come in with humility and an openness to things. The same thing would apply when if you're going to sit down with someone who has more experience than you. You can't go into that and just think, yeah, you know, we'll see, we'll see what you have to say about this. We'll see, we'll see your advice. We'll see, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't know. But I'm pretty good at this already, but I know we're supposed to be doing this. You know, I'm supposed to seek out wisdom. I'm supposed to have these conversations. Um, so I'll do this and kind of see. So it's a positioning of the heart. Uh, the prideful person really can't learn, if you think about it. When you're prideful, you don't, you're not, you're not going to learn anything. Ask, ask any teacher in this room or anyone, any teacher that you know, do prideful students learn? No, they don't. Because they think they know everything already. Why do they need to learn anything when they're awesome at everything they do all the time or whatever? And you're, you don't know what you're talking about. The prideful cannot learn. The humble, the noble, they, they learn with ease. Because there's an openness there and there's a desire that's there. So the Bereans, 
they were more noble than the Thessalonians. That got it got their it got Luke's attention. It got Paul's attention. There was a there was something about them. Uh, we're going to throw James four six up on the screen. Um, this is what this is what James says. Um, but he, being God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility gets God's attention. He's drawn to, he's drawn to that. He's in opposition to our pride. Teachers are drawn to the teachable and the humble. And so if you want to be an effective learner, there has to be this position of heart and mind that is humble and ready to learn. You have to desire to grow and mature in, in something. You have to know that, that whatever gifts and abilities you already have, that they come from the Lord, not from yourself. And you have to want it. Yeah. The Bereans, they wanted it. They were more noble than the Thessalonians who didn't want it. So if we want to be effective learning in the yoke from Christ and from each other, we have to be noble. Second thing, look back, look back at verse 11. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. So the second thing you can write is just, you can just write eager. This, this flows out of humility and leads to this real desire for learning. You know, it creates this drive. Like when you're truly humble, it, it, something kind of just rises up within you when you have the opportunity to learn and to grow. You know, humility isn't this like, oh, shucks, you know, like I'm, I'm the worst. Humility is like, man, God's doing something and I want, I want, more, I want more of that. That Jesus was my substitute and has invited me into this life in the yoke with him. And he wants to teach me. He shouldn't want anything to do with me. And yet now he's saying, come to me, learn from me. And so that should humble us. And from that humility erupts this, this eagerness that's there. You could, you could put next to the word eager, you could just put teachable in there as well. True, humi- true humility leads to that desire for learning. False humility just kind of leaves you pouting and kind of stagnant. Right? False humility are the people who are just like, I'm never going to learn how to pray. I'm no good at praying. I'm just never going to pray. Blah, whatever. So, of course, you're not eager to learn because you've convinced yourself that you're horrible at prayer or horrible with the Bible or you're never going to be able to share your faith. You're never going to walk deeply with the Lord. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do this. And so false humility, it just it kind of heaps this like, like self-condemnation upon yourself. And you just pout and you just stay there. And that's not being humble. That's actually being incredibly arrogant. True humility is, knows that God's at work. And from that comes this eagerness. And you become teachable. You go after those people who are better at you. Uh, better than you at something that you want to grow in. You're eager. You don't, you don't say, hey, how about sometime in the next 20 years, maybe we sit down and talk about how, why you're an awesome husband. 
you're like, hey, uh, I'm going to be married or, or we're about to have our first kid and um, you're a phenomenal mother or father, you know, whatever. Um, can we sit down sometime? And they'll be like, yeah, let's do coffee. Let's do an hour-long coffee. That'd be great. And we're like, okay, let's get the calendars out and start now. There's an eagerness that comes. There's a desire that, that's there. And you become teachable. And when you are humble and when you are teachable, like the Bereans, the person on the other side of the yoke, they get their calendar out too. Because you're like, whoa, this, this kid's ready to roll. And we'll talk next week about what that person's responsibility is and what goes into that. But as when you're there and you're in a place where you're ready to learn and to grow, you have to be eager, you have to be teachable, you have to, you have to want it. Um, so, you seek out these opportunities to learn and to grow. And when someone who is, is eager, it kind of points to two very important things. Uh, it points to initiative, and it points to work. Someone who's re- who is eager, they take that initiative, you know, they're, they're, they're going after those people who they admire. There's something about your life I admire. They take the initiative, and they're also, they're ready to do the work that it takes. They're ready to write down everything that you have to say. They're ready to implement it. They're ready to come to you in a month and be like, hey, I've been trying to do this stuff you talked about, and I, I, I don't know what to do with it. They're not afraid of it. They don't, they're not looking for shortcuts. They're not, they're not wanting you to do all the work for them. There's this eagerness that's there. And it's the kind of thing that if, if being noble and being eager, if those things aren't present, you don't need to go sit down with that person and have coffee yet, you know? Like, as an effective learner, they have to be in place in order for, for that time to really be meaningful and for you to soak up all the goodness that God has there. And so that's not meant to discourage anyone. That's meant to say, look, if it's not there, then that's what you begin to pray and you begin to ask for. If you feel a little bit more like a Thessalonican, who is, not, who is the opposite of those things, and you want to be a Berean, you start praying toward being a Berean, you start to say, Lord, I, I know that I should be humble, but I'm not. I know that I don't seek to learn from you or from others the way that I, you designed me to, but I, I want to want that. I know that I'm not eager. I know that, that there isn't any initiative. I know that, I'm, that I, I tend to be lazy in a pursuit of those things. I know that that the things I do learn from others in different situations and on Sundays or community groups or in different things, I know I don't, I don't, I'm not willing to do the work like someone who's truly eager and teachable would do. So it has to become important to us, you know. Learning from Jesus, learning from each other, being on that side of the yoke, it has to be something that we want. And a lot of it is just having the courage to say, I don't want it. But also to say, but I want to want it. So will you help me want to want it? And Jesus doesn't kick you out the yoke. He's not like, well, until you, you know, until you want it, you're not welcome here. He's like, no, you're, you come to me just as you are. But know that in the yoke, you don't stay as you are. You can't. It doesn't, it, it doesn't work that way. 
So interpersonally, we have to be in a place where we're humble and teachable going into those conversations. And Jesus is the way that we get to that point. So when it comes to learning directly about nobility and humility and teachability and all the other abilities that are in there, uh, that's where we learn it. We learn it with Jesus. And he gets us ready to sit down and have coffee with someone who's further down the journey than you are and than I am. And I will, I'll, just very like confessional about this, I'm, I'm not one of those people who, who does this side of it very well. I've learned, I've learned the other side just because of, of being kind of thrown in the deep end as a college senior with the ring. Uh, I had to learn that side of it. But I've never been one that, on the, on the learning side, that is, that does, like, take initiative and pursue and is teachable. Um, someone who is in my position, I should be consistently sitting down with, uh, with, like, veteran pastors just being like, I just want to sit down and you tell me everything that you know. Tell me everything you wish you had known. Tell me the biggest things that you learned. Tell me what your biggest failures were. Uh, and what you learn from those things. What would you say to me? What would you advise to me? I should be doing that, and I don't. And I think some of it comes down to a lack of humility and a lack of being teachable. And so I have to deal with that with the Lord. I have to, I have to, to look at Him across the yoke and be like, well, okay, I get it, you know. You've exposed the fact that I, there I'm not a Berean in this. I'm not a very good learner. I don't seek it, and ask him to stir that want in me, that desire in me, and he will do that, and I hope that he does that, and that's a part of, just as a means of just continuing just to, there you go, uh, that is a, a lot of what was stirred in me as I was prepping and teaching through those couple of weeks on discipleship, is, is God being like, you don't do this, you don't do this, do you? I'm like, no, 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 I gotta preach this week though, you know, it's like, no, you you don't seek that out. You're not good at learning. You're getting better at teaching. You're not good at learning. And you need to be. And you need to want to be. Um, and so, uh, I don't really know where I was going with that. That's not my notes. Okay. Um, so the first, for, with the Bereans, we see that they were noble and humble. second thing is that they were eager and teachable. The third thing End of verse 11. They were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This is, this is massively important. So, so let's, let's say that, that you've worked your way through it. That you, um, you've asked the Lord to help you want it. To get you to that humble, teachable place. And you have... Uh, courageously sought someone who is more experienced than you at this and something that you admire in their life and you've set up, you've taken the initiative, you've set up time with them and uh, you really, were, you were there. You were humble, you were teachable, all those things were in place. And you sat there and you went in and you had questions already lined up like I suggested and uh, you were considerate of the other person's time like I suggest and you wrote everything down, which I think is huge. And let's say you've processed that stuff or, or whatever. Like you're kind of at that point where you're like, okay, the, our coffee date is over with. And that was awesome. Now, now what do I do? Um, 
there are two kinds of wisdom. There's worldly wisdom, there's godly wisdom. Um, we, as learners, in order to be effective, we have to go down the godly wisdom path. Worldly wisdom would say, go sit down with someone, let them mentor you for an hour, then do everything that they said. The Bereans, they have Paul, Silas, Timothy come in. It says that they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They went back to, the, it would be the Old Testament. They're like, okay, so, so you guys are saying that Jesus Christ, the rabbi who was killed and raised from the dead, that he's the Messiah that the Old Testament points to. That's really interesting. We're going to go home. We're going to get out the, uh, you know, the scrolls. we get the uh, Torah out. And we're going to go through and look through the Psalter. And we're going we're gonna to go through these things. We're going to look at all the prophecies uh, to see if what you're saying lines up with the Bible what they understood the Bible to be. We're going to take what you have to say, and instead of automatically implementing it, just because you are confident and speak with authority, uh, we're going to let the Scriptures be the bottom line for us. So we'll see you tomorrow. So they did this daily. That filtering things through the Scriptures was, was like how they processed the information. So the third thing that you can write down is that they were biblical. It was about scripture. You could put, you could put maybe in parentheses, maybe put the word filter. They, they didn't just take someone at their word. They let the Bible be the authority uh, by which all advice is judged. That's going the godly wisdom route is letting, letting the Spirit tell us if the person on the other side of the yoke is right or wrong. And that's kind of a weird thing to talk about, but I want to just talk about it for a second. Um, if Jesus is the other person in the yoke, he's always right. If you have coffee with someone, they may be right, they may not be right. So how do you know the difference? Well, there has to be a filter. So you take those notes that you, you know, that you were writing down and whatever. You take everything that they were saying and you prayerfully let the Spirit tell you what's right and what's wrong. And you get the Bible out and you find out what the Bible has to say about it. And it's strange because... um, I think what we want to do, just as human nature, is you want to automatically trust that person sitting across the the table from you. You want to automatically trust that person in the yoke with you. Um, And I don't want to create this sense of, like, skepticism about everything. But I would hope, no matter who that person is, that you would process that information down the godly wisdom route. Because only... God is the one, he's the only one who can determine if someone just gave you uh, worldly advice or godly advice. And sometimes I'll tell people that, you know, and uh, they'll kind of look, they'll kind of look at you weird, you know, and like I'll, uh, like, I'll pick on Megan Kelly because she's not here tonight. Uh, Megan, we all know Meg, she's awesome, right? And I would certainly trust 
anything that she would say in the yoke with someone else. But she would be the first person to say, now look, like it, you need to take everything that we're about to talk about, you need to take that back to the Lord. You need to pray through that, you need to ask the Spirit to help you sort out what's, what's good, what's, what's bad, what's worldly, what's godly. You need to get your Bible out and, and read this stuff and, and, and sift through it. She'd be really, really quick to uh, say that that is her desire. It's for no one to just take, take her word for it. And so there are times when, when someone will, like I'll have a conversation, they're like, yeah, I had, uh, I had dinner with the other night with you know, so-and-so, and I um, was seeking some advice, and this is what they said, and it sounded kind of weird. And I'm going, yeah, it's weird. Because they didn't say Jesus, they didn't say Bible, they didn't say faith, they didn't say obedience, they didn't say, there was nothing in there that pointed to godly wisdom. It was all worldly wisdom. Yeah, that's super weird. And that's a strange place to have to be in, a, in the family and be like, hey, that person gave you terrible advice. But every time I meet with a couple who I'm about to, and I'm doing their wedding, and we're kind of doing some of the, like, the counseling stuff ahead of time, I always tell them, I'm like, look, you're going to get some great advice from people, and you're going to get some horrible, horrible marriage advice. You've got to be able to tell the difference. Just because someone's been married for 30 years does not mean that what they say is law. You've got you to filter it. Because people are going to come to you and they're going to say, like, well, your first year is going to be the worst year of your life. And I try to, like, get out ahead of that lie every single time. Like, no, 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 no. If someone tells you that, you smile and you nod and you thank them for their input and you cast that out of your existence immediately. Because it doesn't have to be. It can, it, it can be, and for sometimes it is, but that's not an automatic thing by any means. It could be the best year of your life. So people don't always give you good advice. People don't always give you wise counsel. Sometimes they just give you counsel. Sometimes they're speaking out of their own bitterness, their own wounds, their own like things they wish people had told them or ways that they feel slighted. And, and that's, a, that's tough when you're in the yoke with someone and they're just like, all of a sudden they're unloading stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, what, if, what does this coffee thing turn into? And uh, you end up counseling them the whole time and you come away you're not sure what to do with it. And that's part of living life as a family is we... We teach and we learn, and sometimes the yoke actually gets flipped, you know. You go in as the learner, and next thing you know, you're the teacher, and it's, like, you don't know what to do with that, and it's just, that's part of it. It's okay. That's why a part of the process of being a good learner is to take whatever, whatever went on, go back to the Word, let the Spirit of God help you filter things out. This is what wisdom looks like as a learner. So no matter who that person is, that's a part of of what will make you effective in learning. Is if at the end of the day, you, you get out of the yoke with that person, you check into, in, the, in your mind, the yoke with Christ, you're like, okay, what do you think about that conversation? And let him say, well, you know, in, uh, in this verse where it says this, or in this passage, or in this story, or... Sometimes he's probably going to say, like, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. You need to go through those notes. Let's, let's walk through those notes together. Let's cross out this thing, because that was kind of weird. Uh, let's circle this one. Let's focus in on this one. And you let him be the one. That's what the Bereans did. And you see the verse in verse 12. You look at that. Look at, look at where that led. Actually, go back to, go back to 11. Look at 11 and 12 together. 
Look at the result of, of learners who are in this place of mind and heart. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. See, that's, a, that's an amazing process. They learned that Jesus is the Messiah. Through that noble, humble, teachable, eager place that was then filtered through the scriptures and the words of Paul and the Spirit was there and led them to the truth. And that's where we learn. That's where we learn. So, at the end of the day, I think you just, we got to want it. And that's probably maybe one of the biggest hindrances that we have. That we say we want it, we know we should want it, there's a part of us that wants it, but it's not burning within us, you know. And so that's something that we take to the Lord. So next week, uh, I, I pointed to this uh, several weeks ago, and, and we're going to pull the trigger on it. Um, beginning to collect, uh, kind of survey the people, um, b- meaning us, all of us. And uh, figure out what are the things that you've been through that you would be willing to be on the like seasoned veteran teacher side of the yoke about. And uh, it's kind of been coming together over time. It's going to be some sort of a card or maybe even an online option, which would be crazy. Uh, have a bunch of options. Maybe you could check some boxes or whatever and maybe add some boxes of your own. What have you been through that you would be fine with sitting down with someone who's going through it for an hour over coffee or whatever, dinner or whatever? You'd be willing to share what you've learned with someone who is noble and eager and is going to take everything you said back to the Lord and filter it through the scriptures. Would you be willing to sit down with, that, with someone like that and share your story with them? We're going to collect all those things, and through that, we're also going to find out uh, what you want to learn about. And so when someone comes in and they're like, hey, I'm kind of going through this. Has anybody in our church been through that? We're able to be like, yeah, there's nine people that have already said that they would sit down with you. So let's see if we can uh, connect some of those things together. So that's coming, that's coming next week. And so you can go ahead and begin to think through your life a little bit. Um, because we all need to be on the teaching side. We also all need to be on the learning side. And if you don't want it, then you need to ask Jesus to help you want to want it. And he will, because that's part of it. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing a little bit. Um, Let's see what he has to say. Let's, Let's stand together. Jesus, I'm grateful for um, just the fact that you have provided a way for us into the yoke in the first place. And for the season of Lent where we set our faces toward Jerusalem like you did and uh, journeyed together toward uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday and all those, just that whole journey. And through that, you invite us into this relationship of learning from you, and then into a family where we teach and learn from each other. 
And I'll, I'll admit, uh, as I was confessing earlier, that I don't have a deep desire to learn from others the way that I, the way that I was built to, the way that I want to. And I'm probably not the only one who just has a, a lack of initiative and willingness to do that kind of work. It's probably rooted in a place of pride and self-sufficiency. And so for me and for all anyone else who's in this room that's in that place, I ask that you would make something come alive in us that, that sparks that r- real desire. That you would humble us and out of that place of humility would come uh, that kind of drive. That we would refuse to settle, that we would stop buying into the lie that we're like, just really awesome and don't need to grow or mature. That no matter how old we are, how much we think we know about you, that there are depths that are, um, that are unexplored for us in loving you and loving other people. I pray that you'd bring a brokenness in regard to that kind of pride that doesn't really want to teach, uh, that doesn't really want to learn, just only wants to teach. And we can't muster up or manufacture humility. It just it comes from you. And so I just... Uh, just ask that you would make that real to those of us who are who kind of push away from it, and that as a congregation we would we would be very much like these Bereans who were they just had they had just such a great posture of heart and mind that made them effective learners in those situations, and it led to life. It led to the goodness of knowing who Jesus is, and that's our desire, Lord. So as we sing, I ask that you would maybe use these songs to confirm some of these things and just to draw us out, uh, to draw us more deeply into all that you have uh, provided for us and all that you envision when you use the yoke.